Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to too, you know it. Let it rip. Let it rip. Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. Recording a bit later this week, Virginia Tech now 2-0 and zero after taking down Duke 38-31. to 31. It is Wednesday, October 7th. Game day is almost upon us. It's a new week, a new challenge. Joined by Doug Bowman. Doug, what are the vibes with you? 2-0. and oh. Good vibes only, you know, uh, 2-0. and Apparently you only need about 63 players to uh, to play Power 5 football right now. So um, two good wins for Virginia Tech to open the season. But I think this, ever since the schedule came out, this has been the game that people, um, the one coming up this weekend that people have had circled on their calendars. For sure. And before we get into the game coming up this weekend against North Carolina, going to talk about another North Carolina team in Duke. I think, uh, you know, just recapping it quickly, we'll see a lot of the same trends and a lot of the same topics heading into our UNC preview and, you know, kind of the decision making process of the program as a whole. Virginia Tech goes down to Durham, takes down Duke 38-31. I think the scoreline is a little closer than the game would lead you to believe. Um, obviously, one of the craziest muffed punt situations I've ever seen that resulted in the first touchdown for Duke. And then, you know, with essentially zero time remaining, Duke is down 10 points and kicks a field goal. So, you know, it, it looked it looked almost like it could have been a 38 to 20 game rather than a 38 to 31 game. Was that a. Uh competitive decision to kick the field goal with no time was there any chance that they had a would get another chance to get the ball back or was that just like whatever kick the field goal so knowing knowing david cutcliffe and look we have a lot of respect for him on the virginia tech side got a lot of respect for that bunch over there got a lot of respect for the way they do the program absolutely you know just respect 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 but look you know even in last year's blowout, 45 to 10 win at Lane Stadium in 2019, you know, there's some questionable decision making calls with the fake punt uh, that resulted in touchdown. And um, I think you could look at it as you're kicking a field goal with whatever it was, four seconds, three seconds. And you think maybe you have one second to work with on an onside. You don't know what's going to happen. You have already seen the craziest muff pun of your life earlier in the game. Maybe the ball rolls your way and you run in for a touchdown, tie the game. That's probably not what they were thinking. I think David Cutcliffe at 0-3, you know you're going 0-4. Make the box score look prettier. Give your guys a little bit more motivation heading into you know whomever they're playing next week. Um, but I think it's easier to, to talk to your guys and say, look, we lost by seven to a good team rather than we lost by 10. I guess it probably also helps them to practice a field goal unit more than like a, you know, a 48 yard Hail Mary at this point. But I was trying to figure out what was going on there at the end. I mean, I really have no idea, but you know, lose by 10, lose by seven. It's all the same. It's still a loss, but you know, Credit to Virginia Tech, 21 players out. Every week, it seems, 20-plus players out. Two coaches, uh, you know, the interim defensive coordinator and Ryan Smith, a.k.a. the cornerbacks coach, was out, which not only meant that there was a new play caller, it meant there was a new cornerbacks coach for this game as well. Um, So I found that very interesting that, you know, Virginia Tech is now pretty much seeing who's going to become a coordinator in 10 years. Uh, 
Bud Foster was the Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator for 25 years, and he's now had two replacements. And when Justin Hamilton, I guess he's expected back this week, he'll be the third defensive coordinator in three games. Uh, as far as being able to win games when that's the case, pretty darn impressive. Um, you talk Pearson Prelude fills in at cornerbacks coach. Jack Tyler fills in calling the plays on the sideline. It just... And that's coming after last week when Ryan Smith's calling plays. And <laughs> it's just been a wild two weeks um, as far as the coaching staff and certainly the players. Yeah, and it's crazy, too. I, I, I know we'll we'll talk about the defensive side in a little bit, but uh, do you want to gather the thoughts, talk about Virginia Tech's identity on offense, how they looked against Duke and and moving forward? You know, we're seeing a lot of the same things. Braxton Burmeister gets the nod. Uh, obviously, we didn't really know if Hendon Hooker would be available. He did travel down. He did suit up. He was warming up. Braxton Burmeister, once again, uh, under center. And, you know, I will say I was a bit surprised that we didn't see Quincy Patterson. I thought he he could have had some opportunities in this game. But, you know, Burmeister got a lot of flack for his play nine for 25 um and and the passing game in general didn't look he didn't look too comfortable in the pocket and i think um you know a lot of people were calling for hendon hooker all i want to say to that is there has to be a reason why we didn't see hendon hooker um because the way that duke's defense was playing loading the box and daring virginia tech to throw cornelson's going to take that because that's the best advantage that virginia tech's going to get all game the unfortunate part about it is the way that Burmeister operates. You can see he's clearly an athlete. He's a guy that can move around in the pocket, make plays happen. I think he's good inter- short to intermediate. But I think when Duke's daring you to throw deep to the outside right or outside left, that's where you know they did their homework and they clearly saw that you know we're going to try to make this guy beat him. Little did they know Khalil Herbert exists. And, uh, you know, he could do whatever he wanted, it seemed. Yeah, this game will be forever known from from now until forever. Um, as the Khalil Her- Herbert game, just one of the all-time great individual performances in Virginia Tech history and statistically the best as far as all-purpose yards. I think he broke the record by like 64 yards or something. This is just a pretty similar effort as far as putting the team on your back and um, – particularly in the second half when Duke was kind of trying to get back in the game or trying to trying to take the lead. They pulled within three a couple of times, and Cornelson went 27 runs and eight passes in the second half as far as play calling. Really just, you know, basically gave the game to Herbert and the offensive line to win, and that's exactly what happened. I thought it was pretty impressive, too, that, you know, we talked about Braxton Burmeister an hour early in the game. They were targeting, uh, you know, the second stringers. Both of Duke's starting cornerbacks were out and, uh, you know, kind of daring him to beat that defense. And like you said, in the second half, even though Duke was still loading the box and they knew Khalil Herbert clearly was having a game already, it just seemed like Virginia Tech took that challenge face on. They knew they had a loaded box and the tandem of the offensive line and Khalil Herbert just found a way to get it done, which I thought was very impressive. And, you know, credit to Braxton Burmeister on the ground and Raheem Blackshear as well. I thought, you know, maybe statistically they didn't have the greatest games and there's still a lot to be desired out of Raheem Blackshear and all the things we've heard from him, but still seeing that they're able to make these individual plays, you can just tell, you get a sense that even with these three transfers in the running game, they just have so much more ability than any of the running backs or quarterbacks we've seen in the past. And, you know, they are getting help by an improved offensive line, but at the same time, they have that ability to make things happen for themselves. So all you need to do is really just give them a little bit of a hole and they'll make something happen. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that kind of was surprised not to see Quincy Patterson there. And I think cl- clearly Burmeister was struggling throwing the ball, but his his speed brings when he's paired with Herbert. I think he bring that speed is a difference maker as far as his ability to attack the perimeter 
which we saw on the couple touchdown runs he had, his speed to just get to the edge really holds that defense accountable there. I think if you bring in Patterson with Herbert at the same time, they they get a little redundant there as far as what that running play is going to be. And if you're going to run somebody off tackle, I think clearly you want it to be Herbert over Patterson. Um, so I think that's where Burmeister, particularly going forward as, as Hooker comes back, is going to be still, um, still a major part of the offense is you can throw is this is going to be one of the more diverse running attacks. It's not just going to be Khalil Herbert running all the time when you factor in Blackshear and then Hooker's running game, Burmeister's running game, Robinson on Robinson and Turner on the jet sweeps. I think this is going to be once, once everybody gets back to full strength and full speed and all that stuff. Um, I don't see Virginia Tech's identity changing and, you know, Herbert did what he had to do against Duke to get the win, but I think you're going to see a lot more, um, a lot more variations going forward. The last note I have actually two notes about the offense against Duke. And this one's a hot take. I put it on, on Twitter today, but I was watching James Mitchell specifically. I, uh, went, I did a little condensed game research before this podcast and just rewatched some of the Duke game again for the third time. And I specifically watched James Mitchell and I noticed that they lined him up in five, at least five different positions in the first quarter alone. And I've been watching a lot of football this season, trying to get an opportunity to watch anything I can, some SEC football, Florida specifically, Kyle Pitts, one of the best tight ends in the nation. James Mitchell has a ton of Kyle Pitts in him. And I think even though that he's not necessarily getting the same type of production. I mean, Kyle Pitts, I think, already has six touchdowns on the season. James Mitchell has two. But watching James Mitchell and what he does for the offense, being able to line him up on either side, on the outside, in the slot. They even did a tight end screen with him doing kind of like a a shed block. I thought it, it, it's super impressive, and I think that's one of the unwritten things about this offense is having guys that you have to account for and change your entire scheme, even if they're not going the direction of James Mitchell. Usually they are, but it, it just forces the defense to think in a different direction, and I think his impact is definitely much more appreciated, at least by me. Uh, we all know what type of player he is, but... I was really, really impressed with the game plan they drew up for him and how they're moving him all around this offense. Yeah, I don't. He's never going to reach the, the production that uh, Kyle Pitts is at because uh, he's insane. But definitely the X factor and his versatility is something. I mean, that's what we've talked. We talked about all off season is Virginia Tech looking for. Um, looking for that second outside receiver and. It's probably James Mitchell looking for, you know, a second tight end with Nick Gallo. It's probably James Mitchell. If you're looking for another slot guy, it's James Mitchell. And that's um, obviously extremely valuable. And I think that's something you'll see. You know, I said last week, I think he's never going to be the most targeted guy on the field for Virginia Tech. But um, he's the guy that's they're going to take advantage I, you saw it against NC State when they when he lined up in the slot and they threw the deep ball to him or the fade to him. Um, you know when they see a matchup and again against Duke they they got the matchup against. You know he's just bigger than cornerbacks and safeties and he's more athletic than linebackers. So it really puts defenses into a tough spot when um, when they see the matchup they want. And the last thing I'll say about the Virginia Tech offense, again, not a huge day for wide receivers. Uh, Tavion Robinson had one heck of a catch, but mostly this wide receiver core, and I saw something on Pro Football Focus ranking the top graded wide receiver cores Virginia Tech graded out as the number four in the nation, which is surprising given that you know they're not catching a ton of passes or being asked to do a whole lot, but the blocking has steadily improved. And I know that, you know, throughout the first three to four seasons of the Justin Fuente era at Virginia tech, he's constantly talked about 
not just having athletic guys that will go out there and make plays, but guys that are willing to be physical and make blocks. And I thought, you know, we've seen a maturation of Caleb Smith, um, you know, sealing the edge for Braxton Burmeister on his second touchdown run or Tavion Robinson, a guy that you look at him, he's not physically imposing, but, you know, he's he's 10 yards down the field trying to lock up a cornerback uh, with Khalil Herbert behind him. So I think a lot of credit has to go to these perimeter guys and their ability to sustain blocks. Um, you know, it, it's pretty much an extension of this offensive line right now. Yeah, you don't get Khalil Herbert running down the sideline as much as he did against Duke without blocking on the on the perimeter. Fuente credited Caleb Smith, I think, on Tech Talk Live this week. Um, you know, he's he's not going to show up. He's only got one catch this year. He's not going to show up in the box score, but clearly they thought highly of of what he was doing in the running game and guys like Turner. And then you bring up, I mean, Mitchell again in that kind of situation running down the field, opening up holes for uh, whoever's got the ball <laughs> blocking quarterbacks or safeties is, is, is going to be trouble. I will say for Caleb Smith, he is now the patented flag guy, PI guy, because against NC state could have had a touchdown uh, he blatantly tripped, caused a PI uh, pass interference. And then against Duke, I believe Virginia Tech was back at their one yard line and it was third down. And, uh, you know, Braxton Burmeister's in the end zone looking for a target. And I, I'm screaming, why? Why are you throwing the ball here? And Caleb Smith, uh, you know, once again grabs a PI call and then Virginia Tech is able to move down the field, but he will have more catches coming to him if he can uh, avoid the flags. But for now, he's uh, he's catching more flags than passes. He's he's an artist. It's an art of drawing the pass interference. He he's not so much a pass catcher, but um, he'll he'll draw the flag. <laughs> he's gracious in his form, but switching over to <laughs> the defense. Um, just looking at the defensive performance again, we talked about some, you know, multiple players out. It, essentially, it felt like the entire secondary was out, um, and uh, you know, having different guys fill in for the defensive line. But you know, starting with the defensive line, uh, going into this game, I think we all knew that Duke's offensive line not the greatest, didn't really produce anything on the ground. Um, and then especially in pass coverage, it felt like Chase Bryce constantly had uh, to move out of the pocket or was uncomfortable in the pocket uh, just because every opponent they have faced has seemingly been able to bring pressure. Um, one unpopular opinion that I do have, huge credit to Emmanuel Belmar, three sacks in the game, all three of his tackles, tackles for loss, were sacks. Two of those times, he was just unblocked, okay? Nobody was blocking him. I think, you know, anyone on the defensive line could do that. Um, you know, I don't want to take too much away from his career day, but I think Duke, as well as they did on defense, scheming for the Virginia Tech offense, obviously nobody could stop Khalil Herbert, um, but... On defense, or sorry, on Duke's offense, I thought they did a terrible job scheming for this Virginia Tech defense. Early on in the game, doubling up Justice Reed, allowing Emmanuel Belmar on perhaps their weakest player, their left tackle. Um, and it just seemed like, once again, it was um, Chase Bryce just scrambling for his life. Just a lot of pressure from this Virginia Tech defensive line. Yeah, in two weeks, Virginia Tech's played. I was looking at PFF this week, and they're they've basically played two of the worst left tackles in the country at this point. Um, I think his name for NC State was Tyron Riley, and then the Duke guy Casey Holman. Or um, and yeah, you covered it. I mean, it was going to be struggle. Everybody, everybody knew that was the game plan going in was it was to rush the passer and force Bryce into some some rush decisions and incompletions and all that stuff. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Credit to Belmar for taking care of business. Barno had two as well, but it was the same matchup, which tells you all you need to know about that. Um, you know, 
a weaker a weaker matchup that they won and they had to win it so you have to give credit to them you know i don't think belmar is gonna lead the country in sacks this year or anything like that but um as far as coming in with the game plan and executing the game plan on the defensive line that's two for two now and that's exactly what uh that's exactly what virginia tech hired bill tierlink and daryl tap to do is to to get the increased production from the defensive line immediately and that's that's what we've seen so far so credit to all those guys i think jared hewitt played really well on the inside but i think the the other defensive tackle spot is still a little shaky um would like to see a little more production out there in the middle they need need to get deshaun crawford back but um overall just do if duke was going to win that game it was because it was going to be because virginia tech's defensive line didn't show up and they they certainly showed up right and um you know just one more thing on the defensive line i don't want to you know rain down on the accomplishments of what they were able to do and i just think uh you know kind of pump the brakes on you know virginia tech is first in sacks per game kind of talk because that's not going to happen every week but i think the positives that you have to look at for this defensive line is the last two weeks, there's definitely been opportunities to take advantage of the offensive line, especially in pass rush- rushing situations. And I think in the past, especially last season, where I felt like there was such a clear lack of pass rushing presence on third downs or obvious passing situations, if you are able to at least you know, further your advantage and you're able to win that battle when you should be winning it. I think that's the positive in this, that they're able to actually accomplish these numbers um, and beat these bad units. Yeah. If you want to win nine or 10 games a year, you're going to have to roll through the middle of the ACC and the bottom of the ACC. And those are going to be such, those going to be games where you have clear advantages. And this is one of the clear advantages and one of the clear games you know duke's probably gonna end up at the at the very bottom of the acc i think at this point we can say um so if you're gonna go if you're gonna achieve your goals which is gonna win nine or ten games that's exactly what you have to do moving on linebackers per usual you know kind of operating in in stealth doing what they have to do rayshard ashby another impressive game um alan tisdale out for this one um and Dax, I didn't see a whole ton of, but I do want to move to the secondary because if you were to tell me <laughs> that Tyler Matheny, Chamari Connor, Nadir Thompson, Dorian Strong, and Keonta Jenkins was the starting five for Virginia Tech secondary, and they allowed just 271 yards to a team that clearly, you know, they still care, they still want to do well. Um, that's pretty impressive. Having a, a walk-on in a starting position, having a true freshman kind of be the guy that is in tandem with him at the safety spot, and then Nadir Thompson, who, by the way, was working at safety and hadn't practiced much cornerback, finds out Thursday night before the game he's starting at cornerback, and then Dorian Strong, another true freshman. Super impressive performance by them. Obviously, we saw some mistakes. We saw some guys open. But, you know, overall, I thought this unit played pretty well when you know that Duke is going to try to attack you. They were up for the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> you look at that group, and Keonta Jenkins is the second most experienced guy on that starting lineup after uh, after Jamari Connor, and he played one game last week. Uh, or the week before, and Tyler Matheny's a walk-on free safety who does not look like a Power 5 football player. Um, Dorian Strong, I mean, they were probably playing like their 6th, 7th, 7th, 8th cornerbacks, um, which is what what most coaches have prepared for this year is, you know, what are we going to do when we get down to the, you know, six, seven, eight spots on the depth chart? And, um you know, Duke is Bryce has struggled to throw the football, but they've got some they've got some talent at wide receiver. You talk about Jake Bobo and the tight end Noah Gray. 
um, Pan Cole, would, I think Calhoun played it. I didn't see him a ton, but you know, they're not. It wasn't a weak, weak Duke wide receiver core that they went toe to toe, toe to toe with. And um, I think the one play, Strong's um, the third and long that he led up down the field um, was probably the one thing you could pick on Dorian Strong for. But as far as getting the play you needed out of your seventh, sixth, seventh, or eighth cornerbacks, and you play four quarters, and they played every single snap basically. Um, and that's the one situation that you can nitpick. I think that's a huge testament to the, their abilities and um, fill in cornerbacks coach Pearson Prelu. Um, I guess he was probably coaching safeties too with Hamilton out. So um, pretty ridiculous when you think about who Virginia Tech had out and um, and and how and how it went. It could have gone a lot worse. Yeah, and it's it's just crazy to think about that, you know, previewing this season, you go back, what, eight months ago or so, and you're thinking, okay, Caleb Farley, Jermaine Waller, Devin Hunter, Devon Diablo, Justin Hamilton is a guy that played in the league, and, you know, none of that, none of that, all stripped away uh, because of the current pandemic that we're in, and, you know, again, just a huge testament, you talk about Pearson Prelo, and, you know, how about Jack Tyler calling the plays, um, you know, you know, it's a lot of guys in uh, different situations. And like you said, it, it's showing that Virginia Tech knew they're going to be in a situation where they have to prepare everyone on the roster. It's going to be all hands on deck um, and, and just their ability to prepare these guys and, you know, credit to the guys, too, for showing up. Um, but, you know, it, it's just such an incredible story already. And we're only two weeks in. What an opportunity for Jack Tyler as a guy just beginning his um, coaching career to be able to say, here's a game that I called plays for. It is an ACC game. Um, we had five of our best defensive backs out, um, one of the best linebackers, um, and I was a quality control coach was my official title. Um, I, I, I presume now that his time in Blacksburg is probably limited before he goes off and really begins his coaching career with a full-time spot. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> to, to go from Bud Foster to Justin Hamilton to Ryan Smith to Jack Tyler <laughs> is something nobody could have, could have seen coming. And, um, you know, just a remarkable <laughs> achievement from, from the program. And, I think you had, you you know people talk about Fuente all the time, but you have to give him credit for his preparation and how he prepared his coaches. I know he talked about when Ryan Smith called the plays that that was a situation that they they practiced without telling anybody. The only people that knew what that was going on were the coaches, and you know I I highly doubt it that they did it again with Jack Tyler. Maybe no they chance, Maybe. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> But uh, that's just that's, you know, when you think about the the quarantine period and all the stuff that, you know, they were at home for months and months. That's that's what Justin Fuente gets paid the big bucks to do is to think about and figure out how to squeeze that kind of preparation into, you know, the four to six weeks of preseason camp to try and try and be prepared. So credit all around to the coaches, to Justin Fuente, to the certainly the players for. I mean, Tyler Matheny comes in and uh, gets a pick and takes off down the field and gets drilled by Justice Reed on the sideline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, and then, and then he had a big sack on a, it looked like if he didn't make that play, it was, um, Bryce was going to have some yards to pick up there. So, you know, credit to him as well. Any final thoughts on the Duke game just to put a bow on it, put it away? Um, any final thoughts? You can't say enough about Khalil Herbert and his t- taking over the game, and the he's surprisingly fast on kickoff returns. Um, and you know, I think it, it will be interesting to see going forward now what his workload becomes. You know, he's clearly got workhorse potential, but you know, he's 
you know, how, how do you keep him fresh and healthy over the course of the year? Um, he only had six carries against NC state. So I guess he's fine there. And then you're working in Raheem Blackshear. So, um, that's a guy that he is the best running back Virginia tech has had in nine years now since David Wilson. And I think that's clear and that's exactly what they brought him in to do. Yeah, and I will say that, uh, you know, running backs are often seen like cars and how much mileage they have. And, you know, he's a guy that's a graduate transfer coming out of Kansas, but, you know, really was never asked to do too much. He did have a few games where he had 20 plus carries, but, you know, really, even when he was dominating and um, you, you can look at, you know, his old stats against West Virginia and Boston College a few years ago. The Boston College games. The, the one game everybody talks about <laughs> the, the Boston college game. I think he had like 11 carries or something. And, uh, you know, every run was like 40 plus yards. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's glad to finally get the Boston college game off of his like little player bio. Like stop talking about my Kansas versus Boston college performance. <laughs> Let's talk about the Duke one. Let's start talking about the Duke one. <laughs> And I will say, just last thing about Khalil Herbert is, you know, I am impressed by his speed, but I'm impressed by um, just the avenues he takes to find additional yardage. Um, oftentimes he's near the sideline. And I think, you know, any other time you see a player step out of bounds and avoid contact, I've noticed every time he goes to the sideline, he always kind of slows up a little bit. Um, sees if the defense is going to kind of relax in order to avoid, you know, maybe a late hit out of bounds. And then he always inches towards the middle of the field. He always goes inwards and tries to get three, four, five extra yards. So um, clearly he he wants to do whatever it takes and he's not going to shy away from contact. Yeah, he ran over some poor Duke guy on the sideline there on one of those runs. Oof, <laughs> oof. But moving into UNC... Another North Carolina team that Virginia Tech will face. Third one in a row. Uh, fingers crossed, by the way, because we just never know. Every week, it seems like by the end of the week, we're, we're stressed out. But as of Wednesday, things are looking very good. Uh, better than the last two weeks, in fact. But North Carolina, the number eight overall team. Wait, hold on. How did they get in the top ten? How, how did this happen? I I actually have no idea. I don't, I don't think they're a top ten team. But... Um, they did take down Syracuse about a month ago, uh, 31 to six Syracuse, not a very good football team. Um, and then had a three week hiatus after a cancellation with Charlotte last week, they played Boston college and beat them 26 to 22. However, it could, it was close as close as the scoreline appears, a four point game, uh, Boston College, with under a minute to go, actually scored a touchdown and had a chance to tie the game. They were down uh, 24-22 and had a two-point conversion that was picked off, which is why we have a little scoregami going on. But The rare pick two. The pick two. <laughs> um, but, you know, this North Carolina team, um, at least my initial uh, impressions of them, uh, you know, for a top 10 team, they aren't necessarily dominating how I thought they would. Uh, Sam Howell is a guy that everyone will gravitate towards. If you see a, an article about them, Sam Howell's probably on it. The sophomore quarterback seems a bit more uncomfortable in the system in year two. Uh, I don't know if sophomore slumps are a real thing, but he doesn't seem to, uh, you know, he's taking more time in his reads, and I think that's really affecting him this season. I don't think he's as strong as he was last year, but, you know, looking at this North Carolina team, I think it starts with the offense and starts with the running backs. Yeah, they are a complete offense when you look at their, at least their skill positions from Howell. Two really, really good running backs, Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Carter is basically Khalil Herbert, except faster. Um, he's very, very good. And Javante Williams is he's a he, he's a little more explosive, I'd say. He's a little more one cut and he's gone kind of guy. So those guys I mean Howell has struggled this year. He hasn't hit a, a deep ball all all season long. I think they're And by um, deep ball, twenty plus yards. He hasn't right. hit twenty plus yards. Yeah, and he hit, I'm looking at, um, trying to find last year's numbers, but they hit a ton. So through two games to not have any deep balls, 
um, is surprising. He's thrown into double coverage um, a couple times for some picks. Uh, he's basically he he plays like he has a ton of trust in his receivers, and he lets and he tries to give them the opportunities to make plays, and that that makes sense. Diami Diami Brown is their top receiver yet over a thousand yards last year and he lines up out wide daz newsome brother of former virginia tech player Dion newsome probably one of the guys tech wishes they had offered um now after seeing what he can do in college he he had a big year last year and he's dynamic with the ball in his hands but he hasn't been targeted much at all this year which is which is a concern. I mean, if you read anything about Carolina, it's that there's a lot of concern about the state of their passing game. Um, downfield passing, Newsom in the slot has only gotten six targets and has two catches, I think. Um, but the talent's there. This is not a, you know, this is, they, they returned basically everybody from last year. Um, and it was a very good offense. So I, I don't think, I don't think they're going to struggle all year long. And if they do, they still have two really good running backs to rely on. So um, it's just a it's it's a matter of when I think, not if that this offense breaks out, and it's hard to take a lot from the first from their first two games, given given the three week in between. I mean, they had Carolina was one of the teams that had the early COVID outbreak in August, and they took a break. So playing Syracuse on September 12th was their first game after missing a bunch of time. Then they take three weeks off. They basically play two week ones or two first game of the years, basically. So the old, the old cliche about making your most improvement from game one to game two probably applies more this week than it does to the Boston college game after three weeks off. So um, a lot of talent, if they, you know, if you're trying to get your pass, what worries, what probably worries Virginia Tech is that if you're trying to get your passing game going, you're going to want to play a depleted secondary. And that's what Virginia Tech has going into this game. So that's that's the big concern um, as far as the Carolina offense versus the Tech defenses. At the worst, they've got two really good running backs to rely on. And at their best, it's downfield attack and getting the ball in Newsom's hands and against the tech defense that, you know, could be playing Tyler Matheny at free safety again. Um, I think you have to be worried about that. Yeah, I will say I'm a bit optimistic. Again, it's Wednesday. We'll see what happens. I mean, really after the Friday test, we won't know until kickoff time at, at 12, who's going to be suiting up, but I am optimistic that the secondary will look different and look more like week one than it will week two. Um, but, you know, there's a lot to unpack with this North Carolina offense, and I think it's a good point that you made that, you know, there's not too many takeaways that you can take from their first two games, especially when one comes early on in the season, one's last week. Um, but I think there are a lot of takeaways you can take from last year's game, playing in six overtimes. You have so much film to go through on that. I mean, that was one of the longest games ever. I think it was the longest ACC game ever. But I think what concerns me about North Carolina, I know they haven't been um, as pleased with their passing game this year, but you know, last year when North Carolina played Virginia Tech in that six overtime game, it seemed like they could pass all over the field. Sam Howell had 348 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. I actually thought that Virginia Tech did a very good job against the def against the rushing attack from North Carolina, which, you know, labeled an air raid. They threw for 49 times and they rushed for 40 times um, in last year's game. So I thought they did a good job. And then, like you're saying, Daz Newsome, he really, I, I mean, he was just a thorn in the side of Virginia Tech's defense last year with nine receptions, 112 yards and two touchdowns. So um, just looking at last year's game, I think there's a lot of takeaways that, at least for me, I'm more concerned with how do you stop this pass attack than uh, you know, really this this running attack that we've seen so far this year. Yeah, they return everybody. I mean, I think it's this, virtually the same offense, or at least at the skill position players, for uh, as that game last year. And that was a game 
that Chamari Connor had came into that game playing really, really well and basically got abused for, for, for four quarters that game. And um, I think he got hurt at some point during the game. Um, so basically, yeah, skill positions, excellent if they can get it going. If I mean, if this UNC offense operates at full efficiency, it, I don't, I don't know if Virginia Tech can 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 keep up, particularly on the road. But I think the one the one area that you you feel like Virginia Tech can make some make some hay is against their offensive line. Uh, mentioned Tech's first two opponents had two of the top five worst left tackles in the country. Um, at least according to PFF stats, and I think North Carolina's left tackle, Seam Richards, is his name, um, is is in the top fifteen in pressures allowed so far. So he's kind of right there. So I think you feel good about, or at least you have to watch that Belmar matchup again. Um, as far as getting pressure, I think it's the it's the one thing that can really limit this. UNC offense because Howell is going to sit back there and wait for his receivers to come open and he's willing to stand there um, and, and wait for the downfield passes to open up. So if you can get that pressure on him in the first in the first two and a half seconds, I think you force him into quick decisions. You get a you get a hit on him as he throws. That's kind of what Boston College did, and they had a ton of success. Um, I think I read that. The second half of the Boston College game, UNC didn't score a touchdown, and that was only the second time in uh, like 25 games that they hadn't scored a touchdown in a half of football. So um, if you can get pressure on them, you can slow down the passing game and and create some turnovers, and I think those are going to be huge. Whoever wins the turnover battle is going to win this game. So if you can get the pressure on Howell to get a sack fumble or you know hit him as he throws and – Hollyfield gets a pick on a on a lazy fly ball. Basically, I think that's that's how Virginia Tech wins the game. Yeah, and just to uh, to fact check here, uh, you're right. UNC scored 21 points in the first half against Boston College, and then one field goal and one pick two uh, in the second half. So definitely, you know, Virginia Tech can look into what Boston College did in that second half and try to implement it. I think it is interesting, and what I was trying to allude to what you just alluded to uh, with Sam Howell is he is a very patient quarterback and I think he's even more patient this year uh, and maybe some of that is because he hasn't found that success with the deep ball yet or throwing pass or passes 20 or more yards down the field um, he's taking a lot of time in that pocket and and this offensive line they had Charlie Heck last year he's gone um, you know they had a lot of good players, solid players on that offensive line. And, uh, you know, he's trying to uh, extend the time in the pocket. And I feel like a lot of the times he's scrambling out near the line of scrimmage um, and just waiting for a guy to open up and trusting that his receivers are going to win their battles. So um, bringing that to the Virginia Tech game, do you think the most important thing, we talk about bringing pressure and maybe, you know, this goes hand in hand, but having cornerbacks like Jermaine Waller, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, staying on these skill position guys, allowing the defensive line more time to get to the quarterback. Yeah, it's it's going to be the key is if if the defensive line doesn't get there basically immediately, if the if the blitz doesn't get home very quickly, he's going to buy time and can you know can your cornerbacks and safeties run with Diami Brown, Daz Newsome. Kafre Brown, I think is his name. He's Diami's little brother. Um, and then they have another wide receiver, Bo Corrales, who they play a lot. Um, if you can, can you realistically run with them for five or six seconds and have them work back towards the football and limit them? I don't think so. So, you know, if they can get a Jermaine Waller back and lock him down, I think, you know, I think, you know, what's going to be really interesting is this is with Justin Hamilton back. This might be the most obvious game for text changes in the secondary and how they're playing more zone, playing more safeties over the top, that kind of thing. You know, Duke, not a great passing team. NC State with Hawkman, not a great passing team. So it doesn't really show up. This game is where it could show up. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be huge 
Howell has a little more freedom to run this year. Last year, he was the he was the only scholarship quarterback on the roster, so um, his runs were uh, cautiously taken. I would say, um, but you know, he's going to roll out, and he had that throw against. Boston College that was literally right on the line of scrimmage and they reviewed it forever um, to figure out if he was over the line of scrimmage. So there's a lot going on offensively for Carolina in terms of how Virginia Tech's going to have to defend it. And, you know, I think that just basically means they're going to score some points. Um, This is a game that is going to be, if it's a close game, it's going to be back and forth. It's going to be like last, last year's game, basically it's going to be back and forth and, who makes the, you know, you're not going to have your defense making consistent plays throughout the game. But can they make those individual plays to break up a key pass? I remember that Diablo stop on a um, early in one of the overtimes, or maybe it was late in the fourth quarter. That was a big stop. Um, Khalil Ladler had those two big st- If you can make those individual plays at crucial moments, I think you can win this game and in the 30s or 40s, probably. And then flipping things over to the Tar Heels defense, obviously, again, most of the credit's going to go to the offense, um, but a lot of credit this year, at least, going to North Carolina's defense, and I think that's a big reason why many voters are putting them in the top 10, which is just still so ridiculous. But um, just looking at their performances against Syracuse and Boston College, to Syracuse, they only let up 68 rushing yards. And against Boston College, they gave up 40. So around 108, I believe, if you add the two together. That's um, good math. For the season, <laughs> just switching between the tabs here. So, um but, you know, all that being said, maybe this, you know, they haven't been tested like they will be against an offensive line and a running back stable like Virginia Tech. On paper, this is good on good Virginia Tech's ground game against UNC's run defense. Um, but, yeah, like you said, UNC has talent up front, no doubt. And especially in the front seven, they're probably a pretty good run defense. Are they a shutdown run defense as, as the two numbers would suggest? Probably, I'd lean probably not. You know, Boston College completely abandoned the running game, threw the ball 56 times, which is insane for a Boston College team. Um, and, then they, and then they ran it, I think, 19 times, and eight of those were Jerkovic running around um, scrambling, which – they, which means you can't really put much stock into the, into the running totals there for for Boston College or against Boston College, but essentially yeah. eleven carries, right? It's, yeah, over four quarters of a really tight game. Uh, just the crazy. I never thought I'd see Boston College play a game like that. But, anyways, um, you know they have still Carolina has a lot of talent in the front seven. Um, the Fox brothers are really, really good. One of them's the, one of them's more of an in one of them's more an off, offensive line or outside linebacker. Um, Chad Surratt is hands down one of the top linebackers in the country. He's come a long, long ways from playing quarterback against Virginia tech in 2017 when tech won 69 to seven. Um, one of one of the undisputed best linebackers in the country, and he rushes the passer. Virginia Tech is going to have to keep an eye on him, and, and basically assign a blocker to him every single time, because um, that's they run this. It's a three-four, but it's it's like a four-three that sometimes looks like a five-two. Um, you know, they, they're going to bring multiple looks and they're going to bring blitzes from multiple spots. And um, it's going to be a running the ball for Virginia Tech is, is going to be crucial. It's control. I mean, in the grand scheme of the game, you can talk about given the secondary and the prolific potential of UNC's offense, the number one. The number one way to limit UNC's offense is going to be to keep them off the field. So if you can run the ball effectively against this defense, it's going to make things um, a lot easier. 
Yeah, and uh, just looking at North Carolina so far, and I've talked about my love for the condensed games and and seeing, uh, you know, every meaningful play. But um, that's one of the just real quick. That's one of the beautiful things of a mostly ACC schedule (laughs) is that now every game is a condensed game on YouTube pretty much instantly. Yeah, it's, past years, you know, you have like three or four. Like when you play at Notre Dame, they don't they don't put it out there. But just the height of luxury, the height of luxury, indeed. Um, but you know, just looking at North Carolina's defense, uh, you know, it's going to be the third unique defense that Virginia Tech's going to see this season. They saw the three three five, they saw the four two five, and now, like you're saying, it's a three four four three kind of hybrid. Um, it doesn't seem to matter thus far, and I don't think a lot changes for this Virginia Tech offense. I think the one interesting thing that we'll be talking about, and especially after listening to Tech Talk Live, is you know Justin Fuente, he got Hendon Hooker back last week, got him to practice, obviously felt more comfortable with Braxton Burmeister. Now that you know he's kind of gone into a groove and he's going through game week preparations. Does he make a change there? Does he put Hendon Hooker? Um, I think this would be a perfect game for him, you know, rely on those stable of running backs and kind of like last year, you're going to have opportunities to make those clutch throws. And I have no doubt that North Carolina is going to attempt to crowd the box and make every yard, uh, make Virginia tech work for every yard. But you know, unlike last week where we saw Braxton Burmeister maybe not as sharp down the field, I think this could be a good opportunity for Hendon Hooker if he does suit up to make those critical throws. Yeah, I think you could see a situation where uh, Carolina plays Tech like Tech played NC State in terms of saying, if Burmeister is the quarterback, saying, okay. We're going to just completely focus on stopping the run and we're going to put you in third and long and make you throw the ball. And if you hit a deep ball on us, so be it. Um, I think, and, and, you know, NC State was probably a little slow on the uptake there to put in their better quarterback, um, which they did in the second half. And he was like 12 16 and was fine. Um, so, does Virginia Tech, can Virginia Tech, is Hinden Hooker ready to? To, to jump in there I think you know I, I I wasn't surprised at all that he didn't play against Duke you did talk about taking a couple weeks off and then really when you look at the the practice schedule during the season you know you're you're off the day after the game or the Monday after the game I don't know what Virginia Tech is doing this year but then you're you know you got a couple walkthroughs a couple you know lighter practices and then you're really only practicing hard you know one or once or twice a week so for hooker to come back last week with only you know three practices under his belt i mean i'm sure he's working on the side a little more but you know that's still not i didn't think that was enough to put him in a big role last week now the question is is it enough to put him in a big role this week and you know i don't think so i think you'll see both um Especially, you're you're not going to play Hendon Hooker uh, 80 snaps and expect him to make it to the fourth quarter at his best. So I think you'll see both, and it'll be it'll be critical. I mean, the one the one the one part of UNC's defense that can be had is the secondary. Um, they're banged up there. They've you know their starting free safety was ruled academically ineligible, and now. After the Syracuse game, Storm Duck is an all-world name. But great name. A great name. But he he got hurt at the end of the Boston College game, so he's banged up. And, you know, who knows if he'll play. Um, their starting nickelback got hurt at the, end of, um, the, at the end of the Boston College game. So he might be out. And, you know, they had a couple more guys, including Bryce Watts, opt out for this year. So, you know, I think... There's, there will be opportunities in the passing game, just like there were last year. Opportunities in the passing game for Virginia Tech. The question is, can they get them the ball, and how much, how open will they be based on the running game? And I think, I think that's what it comes down to. If Virginia Tech's in this game, it's because the running game is producing, and they're using. You know, we talked a lot about 
entering this offseason, we talked a lot about kind of developing the passing game to be a little more aggressive and complex than it was last year. I don't think that's what they need to do this game. I think they run pretty much the same kind of stuff they ran last year. Rely on the rely on the strong running game to 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 really carry the offense, but then use it to create, you know, those kind of the throwbacks. You know, you you think about like the Dalton Keene throws against Miami, the um when they hit Tavion Robinson against uh Pittsburgh, those kind of throws where you're using the threat of the running game to to kind of spring open your receivers against a, you know, the weaker part of the UNC defense. So I think that's what you're going to see, and um, I think Hooker is going to be a big part of that. Absolutely, and I, you know, even with you know talking about opportunities in the secondary, I think you know even though Boston College and we can joke about it and say they you know realistically only ran 11 times and threw the ball what was it 56 times uh if you look for their at their yards per pass you know it's 5.6 that they were methodically going down the field and had a clear um motive to hold on to the football and kind of control the time of possession and as we know Virginia Tech that's like their number one stat. They want to hold on to the football as much as possible, get the defense out there for only a few drives at a time. Um, and I, I, I think it's in it's going to be really important. Obviously, the the identity of this offense is going to be um, running the football, trying to get as many yards as you can on the ground. Um, but I think it's going to be, you know, the reason why I say Hooker is going to be so important. I don't necessarily think he has to launch the ball down the field like we saw Braxton Burmeister against Duke. I think even just like your action, short passes, whether it's Raheem Blackshear, or Trey Turner over the middle, uh, Nick Gallo slipping out wide or, um, you know, just little things that you can do to kind of mix up your your personnel and and your arsenal of plays that you're going to toss at this UNC defense. I think it's going to be so crucial to just methodically chunk down the field, sustain these long drives. And I think this is kind of the week where we've seen them do it in regards to the ground game and then have some success in the passing game. But I think this year it's going to have to be a healthy combination of both or this week. Okay. I got two, two players that I think are going to play a big role. I think Blackshear is going to be a is going to play a big the biggest role yet. You look at his 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 snaps against NC State obviously limited because he had just come back and he was exhausted by halftime. Basically doubled his snaps last week against Duke. So I think he's as close to full strength as you can get. And if if you look at Virginia Tech on paper, their best lineup as far as skill position going to be Herbert, Blackshear, Turner, Mitchell, and Robinson. And I don't think we've seen that very much this year. Blackshear's only played a couple snaps in the slot. He hasn't, you know, I think Tech has probably been holding back on that a little bit because physically, you know, the team's not really at 100% with what they've been through, but also probably a little, a little strategy there. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Blackshear be a big part of this game in multiple spots. Um, and then I think Gallo, another guy that we heard a lot about but hasn't really been a huge part of the offense to date. Um, we talked about Chaz Surratt rushing the passer from those from his linebacker spot and how good he is at that. If So, so obviously Gallo is going to be a part. They're going to keep him in sometimes as a sixth offensive lineman, basically to help protect the passer, which also opens up the, the deke basically where he looks like he's going to be a passer and lets Surratt go by thinking he's about to get a sack. And now Gallo is wide open in the, in the, in the flat. So I think those two players, um, Gallo, I guess more for the individual situation, or the matchups that are going to be that UNC is going to present for him, but Blackshear just because you know as he gets stronger and stronger, he's going to become a bigger part of the offense. Yeah, and I'll, I'm definitely going to give you an opportunity to say you know final thoughts about uh, Virginia Tech's offense versus this North Carolina defense, or just this game in general. But um, I do find it 
you know, very amusing. First of all, uh, Justin Fuente coming into this week, kind of leaving a lot of things up in air, right? You know, Hendon Hooker's a full go, but you know that you can still see Braxton Burmeister. You can still see Quincy Patterson. You don't really know. And then the second point, which I think is very important, is that Virginia Tech has essentially been in control for all eight quarters that they've played. They haven't had to bust out any of these special plays yet. They haven't had to do uh, anything crazy. They know this game's coming up. They know how important this will be in the long run of competing uh, in the ACC this year. And I think, you know, this is going to be the first opportunity where it's not going to be as comfortable and bring out some more of that stuff, stuff we haven't really seen. We've seen a lot of inside zone. We've seen a lot of Khalil Herbert doing, you know, Khalil Herbert things. But, you know, none of that is, you know, things we haven't seen before from other teams. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of new wrinkles we see this week, if we see them, if Virginia Tech is not necessarily in control. Yeah, they're going to have it's not because like this is the game that, you know, they've decided to it's not because it's it's going to be required to win the game. At some point, they're going to have to make a big time throw. They're going to have to execute, you know, a third and long. They're going to have to do the offense is going to have to make a play. Um, and and. You know. Your best offense is to put your best players on the field as much as possible. And I think that lineup with those five, I mean, Turner's only been targeted six times in two games. Clearly, there's a little more potential there for him um, to get the ball a little more here. So I'll be really interested. I think as far as as far as having your full strength offense and doing and basically emptying the playbook and throwing everything you've got to win this game. It's 100% worth it and probably the best, you know, situation. Virginia Tech clearly didn't have to do it against NC State when they jumped out to a 17-0 lead. And they probably felt comfortable with what was going on against Duke to not have to do it either. So, But um, I think this is going to be the first glimpse of a full-scale 2020 Virginia Tech offense with Herbert and Blackshear. I mean, if you talk about that game, the game between these two teams last year, North Carolina is bringing basically everybody back. They've got, you know, they're probably pretty similar offensively to what they were last year. Virginia Tech is probably a little bit too, but, you know, Herbert and Blackshear were not in that game. So that's a different, you know, different situation for North Carolina to prepare for different players, things they've never seen. Um, so I think, I think you'll see, I think you'll see the full scale Virginia tech offense on Saturday. Now, just to bring it back to just looking at both sides of the ball, you know, throw in special teams if you want. Um, I don't want to do predictions. We'll do a predictions piece that will come out on Friday. So you can see in-depth analysis, what we think, on Friday, I, I think, too, I need to buy a little time because right now I'm pretty torn on how I think this game is going to shake out because I can see it going so many different ways. But, um, you know, just to wrap us up here, um, your thoughts as of Wednesday on on this game. Well, you mentioned special teams, and I think that's I think there's going to be a big at least one big special team play from, from I know I know Justin Fuente in particular has been worried about the coverage units which is really where the 21 guys 23 guys being out shows up um, when you're when you're trying when you're putting guys on coverage units that really haven't practiced it much um, and and you talk about a guy like Daz Newsome back as a guy who could break basically any putty punt he catches so that's going to be a key. Khalil Herbert is not going to get an opportunity to return to kickoff. Their kickoff specialist has kicked it out of the end zone every single time this year. So that limits that limits the big play they had last year. I mean, last week. Um, so I think, you know, we talked about turnovers. The way, the way Virginia Tech wins this game is winning the turnover battle, running the football, and flipping or winning the field position battle with the special teams. Can your boy Oscar Bradburn, you know, pin him back, completely flip the field? 
or does a Daz Newsome punt return flip the field in North Carolina's favor? Does a, you know, it sounded like they were going to put Tavion Robinson back there. Um, you know, he had the, he had the one miscue, but he's still a really good punt returner. So, um, I think that's the formula to win, win the, win the turnover battles, run the ball and it gained the advantage on special teams at a key moment. So, um, I think it's, I think it's going to be close. I don't think, you know, in this COVID era, many of these games are, you know, these are these are pretty even teams. I think Carolina's got a little more oomph offensively right now, but I think Tech can make it close, and then it just comes down to those those few individual plays that we were talking about. I think the cool thing is right now it's the very end of the podcast. We have no idea what's going to happen. We have excitement in our hearts and in our stomachs. And it's just a few days away from such a great matchup. Number eight, UNC. Number 19, Virginia Tech. The next time we see you guys, we'll know the result. We'll talk about it. And we'll see you next time. Closing time. Open all the doors and let you out into the world. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.